good morning. morning. Are you having a good day? Amen. Amen. I would I would venture to say if you're in the house of the Lord, it's got to be good, right? And that's always good to be here. And uh, thank you for choosing to be here today. Uh, pray that our worship today is pleasing to God. If you are a visitor here, uh, either in person or online, if you would text the word "welcome" to seven zero four. Four five nine five five seven five, and that's running across your screen on the bottom. Um, we just want to get to know you. We want to know that you're here, and uh, find out any way we can minister to you or help you, or or maybe you can help us in some way. Uh, so we just like to to hear from you and know that you're a part of the New Hope uh, family. As far as announcements this morning, uh, we do have a few. If I can find my list. There are a number of sign-up sheets around the church. Uh, if you look on the table out here, we've got Trunk or Treat coming up, uh, the Fall Festival on October 27th. I know a lot of you really enjoy making those trunks look neat and uh, fun, so here's your chance. So if you would, sign up just so we'll know how many are, are coming, and we can make space for you. It's going to be a, a wonderful night, a, wonder, a wonderful night of ministry for the kids and fun for the kids and and for the adults as well, so we're looking forward to that. Also, small groups, uh, life groups. Uh, there are three uh, life groups that are opening back up. One is, is pretty much full, uh, but there's three more opening up in uh, first of November, I think. So they're in your bulletin. Sign-up sheets are out at the, the office table and in the Hope Center. Um, but get plugged into one of those. Got some great topics and some great leaders to, to be a part of that. Also, Children's Church will resume next Sunday, um, so make a note of that. And then following this service, we'll have a short business meeting as we uh, vote on uh, Mary Ledbetter as the uh, full-time director of youth and children. So uh, stick around and, and be a part of that. As we continue our worship this morning, hear God's word from the psalmist. As he writes, come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is, a, is the great God, the great king above all gods. Come, let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God. And we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Let's pray together. Father, we pray, God, that today as you speak to us, each one of us individually, God, that we would have open hearts, receptive to hear from you today. And God, as we come into your house of worship, God, as we bow before you in, in worship, God, we pray that our worship would indeed be, be pleasing to you. God, that our hearts would be right, that our worship would be pleasing, that our, that our thoughts would be uh, in accord with your will. And Father, we just want to glorify you and honor you and exalt you today because you are God and God, you are the only one worthy of our worship, the only one worthy of our praise. And so Father, hear our hearts today as we lift them up to you, for it's in Christ's name we pray, amen.
Amen. Beautiful song, right? Some great music this morning as we have worshiped the Lord. We had the opportunity to escape uh, to the mountains yesterday or Friday and uh, you see what's going across the screen right now. That doesn't do justice to what I saw Friday. I'm not just going to tell you. God's handiwork was on full display. And we took a little trail up to the top of a mountain there near Grandfather Mountain. And oh my goodness, just the, just the scenery across there was absolutely breathtaking. Reminded again of God's glory, of God's, God's creativity, God's handiwork. As he just painted across the mountains and we're going to talk a little bit about uh, being on a mountain this morning. But as we're going into the, into the fall season, there's a lot of, a lot of activities, a lot of uh, sporting events and, and things uh, that are happening this time of year. I know NASCAR just, just finished up, but I went back and looked, and, and Bristol Motor Speedway has a seating capacity of 146,000 spectators. And it's probably one of the smallest tracks on the circuit. There are many college football stadiums yes, that played yesterday that have seating capacity that, that holds over 100,000 fans. And get this, the Kentucky Derby, the Kentucky Derby, it'll hold over 165,000 horse enthusiasts to watch a two-minute race. That's a lot. And so just imagine the crowds, you know, a lot of us have been to Charlotte Motor Speedway and, and the, you know, when it's had 100,000 people there and just the crowds of people that, that gathered around. Think about those, those people in all of those scenarios. Maybe even the, the high school ball game on Friday night here. Many of those fans only go because uh, it's, the, the event came to their hometown or they were playing at home or maybe they just happened to have tickets or somebody called and offered you tickets or maybe you just didn't have anything else to do so you picked up and went to, to the event. Many are not the serious all-in fans though. They're the, you know, they're, they're the ones that jump on the bandwagon and, and ride it for a while. But then you have the diehard. You know what I'm talking about there. Those ones that, that follow the events around. They travel from event to event, location to location. If they can't travel, they make sure they're, they're tuned in to the network to watch it take place. Or and Many will schedule their life around these events. They won't do this because this is coming on TV. or They won't go there because they're going to the event. And, and one might say that these people are, are obnoxious about it. These people might have their, their favorite personality and they wear their, their garb all, all the time. You know, their, their, their closets are filled with this one team or this one uh, personality, whoever it might be. Some of these personalities, though, in today's world, they don't have much of a public life. They don't, they don't get out much because people recognize them everywhere they go and and so people are continually asking to make selfies with them and to talk to them and, and get a picture of them and, 
and just wanted to, to interact with them a little bit to say, hey, I was with so-and-so, or I got a picture with so-and-so. How many of you have a picture of somebody famous that you got a picture with? Okay, there's probably somebody that, that, that you've all tried to get a picture with or, or have had a picture with somebody that many would consider famous. And so for a, for a lot of these reasons, these famous personalities they stay secluded. They don't come out or, or they go out with bodyguards or, or they schedule secret outings where they're all alone or with their close family or their close-knit friends and they don't want to interact with the public who ironically are the ones that made them famous. We find in Mark chapter 3, if you will turn your Bibles there, Mark chapter 3, we find a similar scenario there where we where we have fans and followers, and we have a famous personality. You see, we're talking about Jesus and, and the disciples here and the, the, the people that were following them. And think about Jesus. He drew large crowds everywhere he went, seemingly, during, during his ministry. People sought him out uh, everywhere he went to. Now, some loved him and some hated him, but people were, were all about trying to get around him and be a, be a part of his ministry to to watch him perform miracles, to hear his, hear his teachings. But the difference with Jesus was that he never went into hiding. His passion was for the people. He wanted to be around people. And quite often he found himself in the midst of these crowds. We find as we read throughout Mark that Mark mentions the word crowd of some sort over 34 different times. And so we're we're seeing the idea of crowds following Jesus around. But he never tried, well, I, said, I shouldn't say he never tries to escape them. He does. For what reason? For prayer. He pulls away from the crowd. He pulls away from his closest friends, doesn't he? To be in prayer, to spend time with God. But when we read through Mark, we see the, the idea of, of the crowd following Jesus around. It says, for example, in Mark chapter 3, verses 7 through 9, it says, Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the lake, and a large crowd from Galilee followed him. When they heard about all that, was, all that he was doing, many people came to him from Judea, uh, Jerusalem, and Edomia, the regions across the Jordan and around Tyre and Sidon. Because of the crowd, he told his disciples to have a small boat ready for him to keep the people from crowding in him. It wasn't that he wanted to get, get away from them necessarily in that, in that setting. He was fearful for his life. He was afraid that, that, that they were going to push him into the water. If we look following in, in verse 13 through 19, because when Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him, he appointed twelve that they might be with him, and they might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. These are the twelve he appointed, Simon, whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. To them he gave the name Bojernes, Boanerges, which means the sons of thunder, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, the son of, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, 
and Judas Iscariot who betrayed him. And notice, if you will, in, in verse 13, that Jesus called who he wanted. Jesus called who he wanted to be his disciples, who he wanted to be a part of that group of, of his, his intimate friends there, his intimate disciples. And so he intentionally chose who he wanted. And it's important to notice that he acted on his own behalf, on his sovereign will, the interest that he had in the twelve. He wanted these particular men to be a part of his group. And it says, it goes on in verse 14, it says that he gives his powers over to these, these disciples. It says he sent this group out, making a distinction between the others, and they, they formed a foundation that would ultimately be Jesus' spiritual kingdom. And, and these 12 represented the 12 tribes of the Old Testament, the 12 tribes of Judah, and the restored Old Testament remnant of Israel that we looked at uh, the last several weeks as we talked about the prophets. But they were on a mission. Jesus sent them on the mission to, to preach and to drive out demons. And we, and we continue to read on. We see that they also uh, performed healings. But we got to remember that, that, that keeping people out of the hospital isn't, as, isn't nearly as important as keeping them out of, out of hell. And so think about that. All the good things we can do, all the, all the, you know, if healing comes their way, if financial blessings come their way, whatever it might be, it's all good, but the primary thing is to know that, that they are saved out of hell. That their spirit is safe and saved. It was this group of men that, that had constant access to Jesus. They were constantly with Him and and by His side all the time. They were, they were always learning from Jesus. They were sharing in His ministry. They watched Him perform. He, he withdrew and talked to them, and they went back out to, into ministry, and, he, and the disciples watched how He treated people, how He loved people, how He, how he cared for people. And so they took this in and, and applied it to their own lives. You see, it was... It was this discipleship that would qualify them for their future work. After Jesus was gone, they would take all the things they learned from their master, from, from their mentor, and put it into practice. George Williams wrote, Fellowship with him must precede preaching about him. Fellowship with him must precede preaching about him. And so as we think about going out into ministry and doing ministry, have we spent our time with Him? Amen. Are we spending time? Are we growing with Him? Are we becoming the disciple that He wants us to be? So that we have the, uh, quote unquote, to be qualified to go out and to minister in His name. We see in, in verses uh, 16 through 19 where the, he lists the 12 that he calls his own. And throughout the Gospels, whenever that list of the 12 is made, Peter is always mentioned first. He's always mentioned first. And then he, Jesus' inner circle there, of the, 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 the three, uh, Peter, James, and John, they're always mentioned along with Andrew. But those are the top four that are always mentioned first. And then the other ones fall in different 
different ratings or, or different uh, listing order. But Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed Jesus, is always mentioned last. The twelve that, that Jesus chose to, to carry out His work, think about their, their life. Think about where they came from. They, they all had different backgrounds. They all had different skills and various personalities and, and abilities. It's important to notice also that they all made a personal decision to follow Jesus. Jesus never ordered them to come. Jesus never drugged them out of their boat and across the water and said, come, you're going to go with me. He said, come. And they followed him. He will never, Jesus will never command you to do, to, to follow him. He's always an an invitation. He called and they followed. And so this morning, can we ask ourselves, have, have we responded to God's call on our life? Have we responded to God's call on our life? Maybe it is for salvation. Maybe it's for another ministry or a mission or, or something God wants you to be a part of. A ministry He wants you to, uh, to, to initiate or to join. Have we surrendered to that call in our life? We see this story in, in Mark chapter 3. The parallel story is in Luke chapter 6. And there we find in, in Luke chapter 6 verses 12 and 13. It says, On those days Jesus went out to the mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. When morning came, He called His disciples to Him and chose 12 of them, whom he also designated apostles. Now disciples are meant to be students, those who are being taught by somebody else, those that, that have a mentor. An apostle is a qualified representative, one that is, one is sent out, one that is sent out on a mission. And when we think about Jesus' disciples, we normally think of the 12 that's always mentioned. But there were many other disciples. In, in fact, it mentions that, that there were, he sent out over 70 different disciples to prepare the way to go in and tell these towns, hey, kind of like John the Baptist, like we studied last week, that Jesus is coming. And so they went ahead to prepare the way. As believers today, like we said last week, we're called to prepare the way for Jesus' return. Is our world ready? for that to happen are we ready for that to happen these 12 and notice what it said in verse 13 when morning came he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them so it was there was more than 12 but it says he chose 12 of them and these 12 that he chose that made up his, his private group. These are the ones that had private all access to Jesus. Okay, you know, you go to these concerts and you get the, the lanyard that says all access. You can go, you know, maybe on the football field or in the concert. You can go backstage. You can get in anywhere you, you want to go if you have that all access pass hanging around your neck. That's kind of the way the disciples were with Jesus. They had all access to Him. And of course, Peter, James, and John 
were the intimate friends with Jesus who, who he took special care of and, or, or love over. And they had even more access uh, than the other disciples. But it says both in Luke 6 and Mark chapter 3 that, that Jesus went to a mountain. He went up to a mountain. And, and so this is a, an important transition from the sea to a mountain. A mountain is often associated as a, as a pra- place of prayer. It's a place where God speaks to His people. It's a, it's a place where God deals with His people. Again, Friday as we were on that mountaintop, it was just a sense of humility. To stand before all of God's creation. To stand on the top of the rock of that creation. And it's in those places like that that God deals with us individually. It's, it's there that, that He speaks to us. It's there that we can go and, and, and pray in, in a way unlike other places. It's there that God gives divine revelation. Well, it's here that, that Jesus prayerfully prayed over who His twelve would be, who He would call out, and this would mark the, the turning point in His ministry you see, they formed the, the official body of the disciples that we think of today. They were the ones that Jesus would ultimately train. They were the ones that He would prepare to, to carry out His mission once he's, once he's gone, once He's been prosecuted and hung on the cross and resurrected and ascended. These are the ones that are, that are to carry it out. What if they had not? What if they had not been obedient? What if they had not carried forth the gospel message into all the world? We would be in trouble. And so we carry that down from generation to generation, century to century. Where would this world be if we don't carry forth the message? They're going to be in trouble. You see, these disciples, they weren't the the fickle fans that that followed Jesus around from place to place or cheered Him on every now and then. These are the ones that got in the weeds with Him. These were the ones that ultimately gave their life for what they believed in, in Christ Jesus. Are we willing to do that? Are we at that point spiritually to be able to do that? That may be a question we all have to face one day. We look at these crowds as as they're gathering around Jesus and and we see that in in several different settings and and passage. Here they're about to push Him in the lake. You see the crowd where Jesus feeds the 5,000 or other crowds where they nearly push Him off the cliff. Um, Maybe the crowds where the paralytic come, they bring the paralytic and they have to dig a hole in the roof to get him down in front of Jesus. You see, they were determined to get their friend in front of Jesus, weren't they? And within all of those crowds, 
there are fans and there are followers. You know, it's, it's easy to count the number of people in a crowd. And it's easy to count the number in attendance at church. And today at church, all churches all across the world, there are fickle fans and there are devoted disciples. There are those on the bandwagon and those who plan their life around Christ. You see, it's easy to count members. It's quite difficult to count disciples. When we think about that, where are you? Where would you categorize yourself as a as a fickle fan or a devoted disciple? These disciples had the ultimate mentor, didn't he? They watched God live out his life. None of us have that opportunity today, but do you have a mentor? Do you have a spiritual mentor that you can watch live out their life and apply what you learn to your life? And are you discipling somebody else? Are you helping someone else become the believer that God wants them to become? You see, Jesus modeled his life for them to, 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 to imitate. And then he sent them out to do it for themselves. He's like, here's how you do it. Now you go on and, and do it for yourself. Live it out in, in your life. Paul was a great example of that. He, he continued that, me that method. and He says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. And he says that over and over again, seven times in his writings. And so his disciples would watch him and, and think of all the difficulties that, went, that he experienced. Think of all the victories that he experienced. Okay, the disciples, they all were able to, to watch him. Uh, the people that he was mentoring, they were able to look up to Paul and see how he handled all of these different scenarios in life. And then they would take that and try to live it out in their life. And so that's what we're called to do. We're to take God's word and apply it to our life and live it out. But are we a fickle fan or are we a devoted disciple? We did a Bible study series a couple of years ago called, called Not a Fan by Kyle Eidelman. And, and in that book, it says, he says in there, it, it may seem that there are many followers of Jesus, but if they were honest to define the relationship they have with him, I'm not sure it would be accurate to describe them as followers. It seems to me that there is a more suitable word to describe them. They are not followers of Jesus. They are fans of Jesus. My concern is that many of our churches in America have gone from being sanctuaries to becoming stadiums. And every week all the fans come to the stadium where they cheer for Jesus but have no interest in truly following Him. One of the biggest threats to the church today are the fans that are calling themselves Christians but aren't actually interested in following Christ. They want to be close enough to Jesus to get all the benefits, but not so close that it requires anything from them. 
One of the reasons our churches can become fan factories is that we have separated the message of believe from the message follow. How many times do we say, are you a believer? Maybe we need to start asking the question, are we a follower? Are we a follower of Christ? And so how how can we move from being a a fickle follower to a devoted disciple following after after Christ? Number one is to be be in His presence. We had a thing at Garden of Web in in seminary, be no do. And and so it was to be with God. It was to know God and to do, to carry out His Word. So just to to be with God, to to sit in His presence, it's not about doing. It's not about earning our way into heaven. It's about sitting and being with Christ and hearing Christ and listening to Christ and following Christ and becoming His disciple. You know, He will take us as deep as we want to go in our relationship with Him. But we'll never grow in, in, in discipleship without practicing the, 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 the spiritual disciplines of, of reading and praying and, and fellowship like this. Do we have spiritual goals that we set for ourselves? Are, are we tracking them in, in any way? Come and go and go and proclaim the gospel. First we come to Jesus and then we go. We, we gather, we, we grow, and we give, and then we go and, and make Him known. We, we go with the gospel. We need to imitate and then infiltrate. We need to, to come to Jesus and imitate Christ in our life and then infiltrate the world with His message, with the good news of the gospel. That's not always easy. In, in a world where, where 60% of Americans believe that sharing your faith will label you as an extremist. It makes life as a believer a little bit more difficult. And unfortunately, Christians are becoming and moving uh, into a more dangerous area from from extremists to... We're going to have targets on our back. And... That's not what Pastor Russ says. That's what God's Word says. That persecution is going to get really, really ugly for the believers. Are you up for that? Are you you ready for that? Are you prepared for the ramifications of being called an extremist or a terrorist or obnoxious, whatever it might be? And what may come from that? Will you remain faithful in, in, the, in the face of opposition when it comes? You see, the, the fickle fan won't, but the devoted disciple will. And folks, that's where we have to be moving towards is becoming that devoted disciple. When we think about this group of folks this, this group of, of disciples that Jesus put together. Think about it. There were four stinky fishermen. You know, just came off the lake fishing. There was a, a doubter and a, and a betrayer. There was a, a tax collector who worked for Rome. And, 
And then you have Simon the Zealot who hated Rome. How do you think they got along? This group of 12 was a microcosm of the church. Think about it. There, there were different people, different backgrounds, different skills, different talents. They came from different demographics. But they all came together to learn about Jesus, to know Jesus, and to make Him known. They came and, and, and that was their main focus and they went out to share the love of Jesus with other people. D.L. Moody said one, one, to, to someone who complained about the way he shared his faith. And they were complaining and he said, well, I like the way I do evangelism better than the way you don't do evangelism. What did he say that about us? Folks, the only way this sin-filled, dark, ugly world is going to know how much Jesus loves them is if we tell them, if we show them. But we have to be with Him before we can tell others about Him. Let me ask you this morning, would, would you be willing to let the Lord make you and mold you into that devoted disciple? You see, it may, it may mean a life change. It may mean a lifestyle change. It may mean changing, changing friends or habits or hobbies. But are we willing to do that to become the disciple that Christ wants us to be? What's keeping you from that? What's keeping us from, from becoming that person, that disciple that, that Christ wants us to be? Has it come to mind yet what, what it might be? If it has, would you be willing to put that at the altar and say, God, take that away. Help me to become that person, that disciple who will exemplify Christ Jesus in their everyday life? Would you allow Him to, to mold you and make you into that person? Are you willing to come and surrender that to Him? Let's pray together. Father in heaven, Thank you for the examples of your disciples. Thank you, Father, for those who have mentored us, who have been teachers in our life and leaders in our life. God, there may be some area in my life that, that doesn't quite add up to what you want it to be. And Lord, I'm bringing that to you this morning. Laying it on the altar and Father, just asking for you to take that away, to use me, to change me, to mold me and make me into who you want me to be and to become. So that indeed I can be that devoted disciple who knows you and who is making you known. 
to a world that desperately needs you. Lord, hear, hear our hearts and hear our prayers this morning. For it's in Christ's name we pray.